Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Jan Rezab, the founder and CEO of Time Is Limited. Jan, how are you doing? Doing great, thank you. Hey, thanks for being with me today. What you have done with Time Is Limited is very inspiring to me because as you and I have exchanged recently, it's such an important topic and it's been a blind spot for many organizational leaders is that we're all constrained by time as individuals and collectively as organizations. So if you would introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Time Is Limited. Yes, so I'm Jan Rezab. I'm a serial entrepreneur started my first tech company sort of 18 years ago or so and uh, built it up. And about 12 years ago, I started a company called Social Bakers and grew it up to over 500 people and, you know, 11 offices around the world. And this is really the place where I clearly understood there's a lack of organizational collaboration metrics for me as a CEO, for my HR director, for my operations people. And there was just nothing out there available that would aggregate these metrics in a meaningful way. And the company really hired from the outside. So everyone kind of brought their own bit and piece of their emailing culture, of their meeting culture, of their collaboration and communication culture. So there was a little bit of Google Docs, a little bit of Zoom, a little bit of Hangouts, a little bit of this and that. And obviously in various different ways of managing. Mm -hmm. And it sort of becomes messy when that happens. And I was just shocked that there's you know, no platform out there that would aggregate this data in a privacy-minded way, meaning not, you know, not single out individuals that would give me met- organizational or team metrics to really run my company. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, with that in mind, you know, how is this, adopted and implemented? Because as we, again, have talked up to this podcast and and before, it's the case where, hey, God, this seems like a great idea. The world absolutely needs this. But how does it get prioritized within this ecosystem of technologies that you started to reference? I mean, how does it become a priority and, and who leads the charge? Absolutely. So today we're seeing there's IT and there's HR inside the company. And HR usually gets very little data from these collaboration systems today. So what HR would sometimes call people analytics is, you know, getting their success factors up and running, maybe running, you know, some retention analytics, basically summarizing and understanding their workforce and putting on top an engagement survey. And that's really great. And that's a lot of data already. But if you layer collaboration data over that, which obviously has to come with IT approval, which is sometimes difficult, but what we've noticed is when the IT also understand that this is not data to really you know, push anyone around, it's to change behavior and it's meant to change behavior for the better, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the thing that IT people have been telling to the organization. It's HR and IT can be one and they can tell it to the organization together. It's like, guys, we actually need more digital collaboration. Digital transformation is not us being on video calls. It's actually much deeper than that. And many times they forget they actually have an aligned voice in that. And when those two things align, it really becomes magic with our clients. 
Yeah, I get really excited when you talk for a variety of reasons. And one of the reasons is this, is that with the pandemic that's happening and we're talking about return to workplace here in the United States and increasingly around the world, Black Lives Matter and that movement that is generated has called organizations to address this very timely and relevant and salient topic. In other words, it's not going away. What I'm getting at it is this, is that there's been this demand for new ways in which leadership's makes decisions. And digital transformation often has been over there with IT somewhere. We've had culture and engagement over there. We've had performance and goal setting over there, but now and facilities and legal and, and all that. So now we need these more integrated approaches. And what I hear your solution getting at is truly an integrated approach on how we're looking at workforce behavior not only what they believe should be happening in the form of crafting a survey, but what is actually happening. And in turn, leaders can make more informed, insightful decisions. Is that a fair way to be looking at it? And do you see new governance models emerging that can in turn take optimal advantage of your solution? Yeah, so leaving the politics aside and obviously the big support we have for the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's been happening in the U.S., but focusing on the pandemic here a little bit and on what it did originally, which is make the entire workforce in the world work from home, Mm -hmm. which was something new to everybody. And, you know, sometimes the objection we would have had hearing is just not everybody does video calls in our company This data source may be limited, may be a little bit biased because we don't have all the data. Well, so first of all, now the organizations really have all the data because Mm -hmm. many of them have months and months, their entire workforce, where possible, working from home. And this is something entirely new. And this is something very exciting for a data perspective where we just can now figure out what is happening. And... What is happening is actually there was this joke going around that maybe, you know, now we'll find out which of those meetings could have been emails. And then the same Instagram account commented like, well, this joke did not age well, we now realize. Because I think what everybody quickly realized is people join more meetings than ever Mm -hmm. rather than doing significantly less meetings. And this is, you know, I can't underscore how much of an issue it is when you know, you up your meetings by 20, 30%, you up the large meetings in organizations and you up the recurring meetings in organizations. And there's research backing that certain forms of meetings, not all meetings are bad, some meetings are amazing, but there's research that backs that, you know, a lot of the large meetings are bad, that, you know, a lot of the one-to-one meetings are great and you should support that. And we've had more recurring meetings during the, you know, work from home and during the pandemic And we've had much less one-to-ones than we would have before. So the problem is, but there's also great things. The fact that, you know, companies have been able to assemble their town hall meetings. They've been able to shorten them and generally shorten meetings. They've been able to also assemble them in seconds, in minutes. You know, if you did a town hall of a 1,000-person company in person, you'd essentially cut on average, 30 minutes, if not more, from everyone's calendar on top of the meeting time. 
And if you can assemble and disassemble that in two minutes, it probably tells you that you should be doing all of those meetings exclusively online. Now, we should probably take that habit, you know, back when we're sort of returning to the workplace. And, you know, the thing that I'm seeing there is there's just so much data in this and companies really, when they see the data, it's just, wow, this only this exists in calendars, emails, and, you know, it's just hidden there. You didn't have to, no input, right, of anybody, no change of behavior is required, no change of calendar behavior, you know, doing anything. It just brings the data. And this is what really excites chiefs of HR, where they can take that and start running programs of really like, how do we work now? What is the new normal? What is the new, new way of working, right? And there's been a whole buzz before. It's like new way of working, agile way of working. But now we're really getting to what's going to be the next way. And we're kind of there defining it with our clients and helping them really save a ton of time while doing that. Yeah. And that's, again, I get excited when you're talking about this because I can see how organizations can leverage this in new and innovative ways because we, not only in HR, but in business in general, have been ignorant on the constraints that individuals have on their time. We just like throw work at them and let them figure it out has been a general approach. And now we have insight into, hey, someone might in fact be overworked and underappreciated. And particularly as we gain insight into their home life and how that affects their work and productivity, there's research that came out, which I'm sure you're aware that, yes, more, and you probably have some of yourself, that more people are having more meetings, yet they're of a shorter duration. And as we're going in and holding space for people, hey, how are you doing? You know, that drains us emotionally, it drains us physically, and it takes away from work time. So as we move forward, what's the proper number of people we should have? You know, how much should they be working at home? So, you know, that then becomes a question for facilities, HR, on down the line. So what are some of your use cases that you see organizations not only using now, but how would, what would be the ideal future state for you and your clients? You know, how do you want them to use it? Yeah. So I think the old term, you know, work-life balance is going to shift to work-life integration. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing work-life being integrated into our personal lives more than ever before. But we also have to put a limit on that. And there's two dimensions. There's overworking and lack of focus. Mm -hmm. So the overworking is an obvious one. You know, when you kill the commute for someone, and let's say in the US, an average commute is what, one hour is 30 minutes, you know, and you kill that, you theoretically have that as a, is that your employer bonus or is that your employee bonus, right? So if you say, okay, we're going to do Mondays and Fridays work from home forced forever, whose is that time? Is it the company's? Is it the person's? Does the company decide whose time is that? Does it let the person decide how they spend it? And I think this is a question that I don't know the answer to, but we definitely have data if they do it or not. So if the teams do it or not. And the second, and I think even more important part is we're seeing the exact same data, shorter duration, significantly more meetings, more people on those meetings. So the question for me is, when do I get my work done? And my work 
isn't in the meeting. I know very few meetings that are efficient work meetings where you actually get the work done inside of that meeting. Meaning if five, six hours a day end up being meetings, when do I do my work? And that's even worse. So we're, for example, seeing, you know, clients of ours, which have only a small increase in meetings, 10, 20%, which is not small. It's still thousands of hours a month. But what that generated is a one and a half hour increase on each end of the working day in their emailing routine. Because obviously you have to follow up on those. Otherwise, you're not doing your job whatsoever because you need to, you know, hand out tasks, figure out what you're going to do. And those tasks kind of fall down. So there's definitely a revolution coming in the way I think we even manage teams. We manage big companies. And it's sort of, we believe it'll be, not be like being equipped with an engagement survey or not, you know, to make the next changes. I believe it'll be similar to being or not being equipped with, you know, video conferencing software or, you know, another enablement tools. I can't realize my life today without B-suite and document sharing and document collaboration and commenting. Some people still can. I can't. It, to me, it's weird. And I think this is the way we're going to look at data and the way HR people are going to soon look at that data. It's like, how did I really make decisions back when, you know, it was gut feel or just some feedback flowing around? But it should still be feedback. It should still be surveys, but it should also be hard collaboration data. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And it actually invites the question for me, there's an arguably, and maybe not arguably, an ethical responsibility to harness this data and consider it when allocating work, when putting together programs. Otherwise, you're just guessing. And in so doing, you could be harming people. You could be stressing okay. them unnecessarily. So if you have a well-being program or an engagement program and you don't have this visibility, the probability that it hits the mark is going to be very low. Would you agree with that? And if so, you know, what can leaders do to integrate it with the other data that they might be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this comes down to lack of understanding of a lot of these channels. You can see behind me, it's just, you know, we have a note, free people's time. What we mean by that is, I think when you join a company, imagine if a big internet tech company put out an ad instead of saying, ah, great benefits, you know, amazing new campus, which they can't use now. And, you know, you know, great salary and stock. And instead of that, it would be, hey, guys, you'll be spending 150 hours a month in meetings. You know, you'll have to figure out how to follow them up, maybe even during those meetings. And somehow around those meetings, you'll have to figure out how to do your work as well. While at the same time trying to use your brain and somehow relax, who'd go work at that company? Yeah. No. Well, everyone in the tech world is working for those companies. Right. Everyone in the corporate world is as well. So I think, and well, our data shows that there is more overhead in certain companies and teams than there really should ever be. 
And, and when you say overhead, what do you mean by overhead? It's just, you don't need to be in 150 meetings a month, right? Yeah. But maybe some managers do. They really need to get a lot of, you know, information out to their teams. But it's streamlining that flow so that the B minus ones, B minus twos don't start imitating that behavior. Because if they do, you'll have three layers of management meeting each other. And now we also know which team meets which team, right? So we kind of see the information and the tasks kind of float down in the organization. And we just think there's a smarter way and uh, to do it. And, you know, companies and organization put things like span of control projects. You know, can one person now manage more people? Or, you know, no, can they manage only less? And this unnecessary overhead and whether it's, you know, email overload, you know, companies put several people on CC internally and they don't realize, you know, a thousand emails sent, five people on CC is 5,000 emails received. And people don't realize somebody's going to have to open, read, or at least archive those emails or somehow note them. So I think a collaboration architecture is required, Hmm. which companies lack you know that and lack the understanding of how it works. And that goes back to the integrated governance and bringing together the IT initiatives around digital transformation with what you know HR is doing, at least in my view. And, and let me ask this point of question, because you and I did a demo of your product to understand the visuals and underlying yeah, technology, which is fantastic. And I invite any listeners to go over and check that out. I, what I want to ask you now is from an individual perspective, you've been sharing you know, how organizations can use it. However, I might, as an individual, say, wait a minute, you know, all this data is being captured based on my behavior. Is it being used uh, responsibly? You know, have I signed up for this? So can you speak to how you maintain data privacy? And if you would maybe add how this type of solution is communicated back to the workforce? Absolutely. And I think there's a legal and an ethical point, right? So the legal point is that the data officially is the company's. And legally, most advanced jurisdictions, you have to tell the employee how you're going to be using that data, which means we recommend both from a legal and ethical standpoint, you know, to draw down a list of vendors, to describe who you're, how you're working with them, and what's the purpose, which is actually what you have to in Europe, uh, to write the purpose of that. And I think the purpose is very easily explainable here. And from an ethical standpoint, I guess I wouldn't as an employee, like my data to be analyzed at an individual basis and aggregated at an individual basis without my consent. Alternatively, if it's the purpose of my job, if, if I'm a sales guy and I make activities, sync them up in a sales force, then I understand that's the purpose of my employment. And thus the company needs to learn from that and apply AI on what I do. But as a high school worker, you know, the Behavior is so individualistic that it would be even very deeply unfair to aggregate at individual level. And there might come a time in years to come where we get to the fact that we will accept that. And that, in fact, if I get my analytics, I'll want to share them with my boss, right? right? And I'll gladly do that as coming into the workforce. But we're really not there. So this is why Time is Limited doesn't do individual analytics, unless you have the individual's opt-in. That's the exception we've had a few times. Or it's sales teams, really, where it's the purpose. So I think that the way that companies, companies should announce that eventually, maybe they 
can do a trial and figure out how they're going to announce it first because they don't know what they're going to see. So they don't even know the purpose at the beginning. So first figuring it out and then maybe announcing it to managers and the teams that, look, this is what we're going to be doing with such and such data. And we're going to be doing it with this purpose to improve our productivity and, you know, just try and eliminate as much unnecessary overhead. And this comes with, of course, many rules that companies can apply, such as feel free to decline meetings, feel free to leave meetings if you're not feeling like you're contributing instead of clicking your email somewhere in the corner. That doesn't add any value to anybody. Right. And what I'm hearing too is that if I participate, there's value that can come back to me. So it's not looking for ways to catch me and get me in trouble. It's looking at, hey, this is what's actually going on. So there's an improvement approach. To your point, reduce the overhead and elevate my capacity. And that capacity, to your earlier point again, could either be consumed by the individual as free time to spend with family or do recreational activities or whatever, (laughs) or it could be additional capacity for the organization to leverage to do other work. Is that a fair summary as well? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the, we're not talking about the fact that this is, you know, a few bad actors in an organization trying to make the organization less productive. Right. So you're not even trying to find someone, you know, or something. It is a pattern of behavior that is shared by the entire organization. It is a meeting culture. It is a collaboration culture that is ingrained in that company, which means you're not even looking at, you're really looking at how to eliminate certain bad habits that are within that particular culture. And most importantly, you're trying to actually reinforce the good ones. So coming back uh, from work from home, I believe we should keep some habits and that company should track some of those positive habits as well. You know, shorter meetings is definitely one of them. So to jump back into the offices and go back to the old way of working, would be a grave mistake that companies could make. They have to learn. They have to figure out what's gone, you know, differently. And they have to learn from it. Because if they don't, you know, the competition will. And at the end of the day, you're going to have stressed, you know, unsatisfied people, whereas the other guys are going to figure it out. And as you're saying, you know, if you free up an extra two hours a day of some of all of your people's time, then yeah, maybe they put one hour back into very much productive work. Maybe they leave half an hour or an hour for themselves, for their lives being more productive. And in turn, they will be more productive as human beings and more happy. And uh, which is what most of the HR people claim they want. Well, what I'm hearing is that you brought a technology solution to a problem that many over decades have been talking to, theoretically, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, it's been more of an ethos, it's been more of a good idea, as opposed to something that I can tangibly go do. And now what you're saying is that, hey, let's go do this. Let's understand people's time. Instead of just say, hey, don't accept all these meetings, you can actually look and see if people are accepting less meetings. You can see if they're, you know, using their time optimally, and then provide some coaching around that. So I guess my point of question is this, is that how you look at it, where you're bringing this 
mindset to life. And by definition, leaders would have to have this as a goal. They would have to say, this is a good idea and this is a way now to bring it to life. Again, is that fair? That's fair to say. And I think that the mindset we really need to enforce in leaders today is, you know, productivity should be on their mind. The fact that time is not being wasted away, which is still the most precious resource we do have. And the fact what really allowed and enabled this, obviously the mini digital transformations or specifically cloud adoption. You know, if you were running an on-prem exchange environment, you couldn't get this data out in any meaningful way, shape or form, you know, without it being a one-year project. Right now, if... You know, we put a little piece of code on-prem if the companies, for example, really conscientious about their data privacy so that you sanitize, you know, private information. So you can do that in an hour and data can be flowing into reports, you know, in an hour, 10 minutes after that. And you have your reports set up forever, not one-off. You know, they regularly come in with updates on a monthly basis and, the fact that these systems now exist and they didn't, right? Even uh, Success Factors Workday, these companies are fairly new in their widespread adoption. So, but now it's different. Both of these systems are on the cloud and we can leverage that data. Nice. Nice. And, I, you know, we have a handful of minutes here. And so, you know, I want to ask you this question going back to, in effect, you know, where we started. Because, it's one thing to have good idea. If I'm a listener, I'm listening to, to you yawn and going, man, this is really cool. This makes so much sense. However, you know, I might be sitting in HR, I might be you know, an IT professional, I might be in sales and operations, who knows, but I'm con- interested in around how data and analytics are going to affect the future of work. So my question is, how do you see organizations adopting it? Who's the buyer? How are they governing this over time, what would you say to an individual who wants to bring this to life and they're just one of, you know, many people, you know, in a decision-making body, or maybe they're just an influencer? What would you say to them? Well, I think that, you know, companies, when you do explain it to them properly, they do get very hungry about this kind of insights and data. So I think we do need, you know, both IT and HR leaders to become internal advocates of, you know, using such data. And I think when somebody in an IT or HR organization raises their hand and says, I would like to run this project and I would like to try this out, I haven't really heard pushback from when it comes to, okay, we're not going to do this whatsoever. Our buyer is usually the, either the head of HR or the head of IT CIOs or the CEO or COO of the company. That's the ultimate end buyer. But we believe that the people analytics users should really be trained to use this collaboration data because honestly, they're the only ones in the organization that can leverage the full potential of this data. Because in most scenarios, they work for HR and HR are the only teams that they can then distribute and run programs on continuous improvement and with the other leaders in the organization, which means a CIO can use and leverage this, but he can leverage maybe you know, a third of the insights that an HR team can. And we had a client, you know, the sign up with us the other day, a multinational telecom operator. And we had big pushback internally 
into adopting the platform because it was COO driven. And there was some pushback in getting it done. Not big, we're used to it. But then all of those people, when they saw the data, they thanked us for pushing it forward, saying they never realized they could use this so much as they now realizing they could change their meaning culture in such a meaningful way. And this is really it. I think when you realize what data is in there, it can really make a big change. And the companies, the whole team got not only on board with it, but then said, we should immediately present this to the board and start making bigger changes here. Wow. That's a, it's an inspiring story. It's, it's needed. I mean, when I get inspired by it, it's when we talk about when I talk about, I'll own this, uh, humanizing the work experience and truly be seen for the struggles that I have overworked, underappreciated. How can my organization truly see me and in turn take appropriate action? And when I say see me, see us as a, a collective. So, and this is really a way to, to bring this to life. So I celebrate what you and your team have done and are doing. And yeah, I just, uh, I hope you're have you know, immense success. And uh, obviously you have a fan and advocate in me. So as we start to wrap up now, what other themes that would you like to share with listeners and viewers? Well, I think that just to kind of open your mind, this is not only about, you know, meeting data and email data and about summarizing some charts. This is really to understand the culture and the well-being of the teams and the company and of, you know, the space. We have Requests like, could you deliver us, you know, meeting room analytics team by team so we understand our facilities and our meeting sizes online so we can adjust our workspace for coming back. And at the same time that the rooms are, you know, big enough. So really there is a holistic approach required to such data that the companies need to start taking very seriously. They now have the Zoom data, you know, the WebEx, the Teams data, the Slack data, G Suite and Office 365, the Salesforce's, and of obviously Workday success factors or so. And we're the only company that pulls it all together at the same time and can provide these insights. And this is, with every company, we learn you know, so much when onboarding new sources, we learn so much. And we just learned that the gap that of what companies' true potential could be is amazing. And I think this is the way, this is a route to really unlocking the full potential for these companies and understanding their workforce entirely and running it in a way that's future-proof. So what I'm hearing is that you're doing a really good job balancing organizational productivity and optimizing that under the constraints of people's time and financial and so forth, but also looking out for the well-being of individuals understanding their experience. Is that a fair summary? Exactly. And one that when I look at some of these tools that go all the way to you know, individuals and crack down with little maps of organizational network analysis, that is great. But sometimes it seems to me a bit intrusive and we're trying to avoid that. We're trying to go through the way that if I'm an employee and let's say the company doesn't tell me, but I learn it, I wouldn't be offended. I would find it logical. And we think it's going to be an ultimate standard at the end of the day anyway, that's baked in into every platform. Well, good stuff, Jan. And how can listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? Yes, so they can go to our website, timeisltd.com, and contact us there. We'll be in touch, you know, right away. We're a very flexible team and, you know, looking forward to people reaching out. If they just, even if they want to comment or 
ask us for advice on what they're doing. We obviously have our uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and everything. So that's really easy. All right, Jan. Again, congratulations to you and your team. Thanks for sharing your insights and ideas and being who you are. I mean, I, I love the humanistic approach, but I also, you know, like that you're looking out for the realities of business needs. So, you know, again, kudos and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Thank you, Al. Thank you All for right. having me. All right. Be well. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.